Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network, east and west, north and south, up and down and around, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. So if something terrible happens, like you wet your pants or have got diarrhoea, don't <laughs> despair. The program is podcast. Just go to 3cr.org.au. And if you are a Melbourne listener to the Anarchist World this week and you cannot go to sleep or a shift worker, the program is repeated at 5am, that's right, 5am to 6am on Friday on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. My name is Joseph Descano and you're wondering what Anarchy is all about? Anarchos without rulers, not without rules. Without rulers. So how do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, which is, means a fancy word for share power, and you hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Really namby-pamby nice things, you know, cooperation. Forget about all that violence crap you hear about. That's, that's the prerogative of the state, which is a monopoly on the use of violence. Anarchists are basically peaceful people who want to live their life with their fellow human beings in a cooperative fa- fashion where power and wealth is shared. So what gives leaders, or not leaders, but rulers, power and wealth? It's inequalities in power and wealth. And in a period of increasing inequalities, as far as power is concerned and wealth is concerned, nothing has been more important than the struggle to do share power and share wealth. So if you're involved in that struggle, whether you call yourself an anarchist or not, you are one. You have the mark of Cain tattooed on your shoulder. Okay, more important issues. Now, those of you who have known him for a number of years know that I've uh, the convener for the West Papuan Independence Movement Rent Collective. The West Papuan activists, refugees and asylum seekers in Australia are part of that worldwide struggle, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are part of that worldwide struggle which for independence, which is currently going on in Indonesia, in West, I should say in West Papua, an Indonesian province in inverted commas. Now, those of you who uh, keep up with what's going in West Papua, unlike the Australian government and the Australian opposition, will have seen 
the riots which have consumed West Papua in the last month, and we saw a reactivation of those riots uh, in the last 48 hours uh, all over West Papua, especially in uh, two places, Wamina and the capital Jayapura. Over 22 people have been killed, many shot by the police, uh, dozens, if not up to 100, wounded. And um, just remember, West Papua is only 76 kilometres from Australia. While we wring our hands about what's going on in Hong Kong, it seems nobody in authority or government is willing to raise the West Papuan issue, except... Believe it or not, West Pap Indonesian students, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the reason I'm imploring you, I normally don't implore, I don't beg or beseech, I'm not beg or beseeching, I'm asking nicely. The West Papuan office has now entered its sixth year at Docklands, Suite 211838 Collins Street in Docklands. This is its sixth year. It is a pivotal base for the West International. West Papuan independence movement. Now, you can't expect refugees and asylum seekers to cough up the money for a significant office in the centre of the city to promote West Papuan independence, an office which coordinates activities around the world, uh, coordinates activities to have West Papua placed on the United Nations decolonisation list. Now, as we enter the sixth year, we have entered a crisis, not just in West Papua, but in terms of the West Papuan Rent Collective, and we need at least 15 to 20 new members by the end of the year. Remember, West Papua is 76 kilometres from the Australian coastline. If there is one part of the world we should be interested in, it's West Papua. Now, to join the Rent Collective, all you've got to do is go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. Go to the Facebook page, have a look. It's very clear. You can join the Rent Collective anonymously if you're concerned. Uh, it is a, it is totally legal. It's a dollar a day. You can put in $365 in one uh, donation or you can donate monthly. All you've got to do is walk into a Commonwealth Bank branch with the details which are listed on the Facebook page. As I said before, we have now reached a critical stage, not just in the West Papuan independence struggle, but in the struggle to keep the West Papuan office here in Melbourne, which is a the only West Papuan independence office that I know that is running regularly around the world. So have a look at the... Facebook page, Joseph Toscana or Toscana for the public. The information's there. You don't have to ring me. If you're not on the internet, you don't want to go to Facebook, well, you can always give me a ring and I'll send you out the necessary information on how to join the Rent Collective. We don't keep any central records. We do meet every three months, every four months, at the West Papuan office where the West Papuan community updates the Rent Collective members and supporters about their ongoing activities and the role the office plays in that activities. So if you're not on Facebook, you can't access Facebook to look at the information after the program's finished, you can always leave a message on 0439 395 
489 and I will uh, send you out the necessary details in the mail. The important thing to remember is a dollar a day is not a significant contribution. It's basically two cups of coffee a week. That's right. You go out and have a cappuccino down to your local uh, milk uh, cafe, two cups of coffee a week. That's right. Two cups of coffee a week. A very cheap pizza a week. And interestingly, it's not the rich and powerful who join the West Papua Rent Collective. It's people on pensions, people with disabilities, people on low incomes, people who are unemployed. Obviously, there are people who are working and so join, but we've never been rushed by the rich and powerful or any government minister or uh, opposition shadow minister because West Papua, as far as they're concerned, doesn't exist. Now, we need to understand things are changing in Indonesia. They're changing in two ways. One, Muslim fundamentalists are gaining an increasing foothold in the political power structure. But more importantly, we are now seeing Indonesian students across the country fighting back. In the last 24 hours, tens of thousands of Indonesian students have been on the streets protesting about the introduction of Sharia, uh, certain aspects of Sharia law, the introduction of legislation which will remove the current successful anti-corruption commission and the introduction of laws which uh, basically uh, criminalise normal human activity like having sex outside marriage. So we are seeing Indonesian young people fighting back. We are seeing Indonesian students supporting the West Papua independence movement. So don't believe everything you hear. West Papua is fighting back. Indonesian young people are fighting back about against, after 33 years of dictatorship, a brutal dictatorship, which was supported by the Australian and United States government, the West Papuan students are now fighting back. They do not want to go back to another dictatorship. They don't want the freedoms which they now enjoy to be ripped away by a parliament which will be is in, its, in the last few days and they've come out in their tens of thousands to ensure the liberties they enjoy, they continue to enjoy. And we can, we can assist that movement by assisting the West Papuan independence struggle. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I'm going to be jumping around during this program. There's a lot of interesting things happening out there, and maybe even in the studio, like maybe one of the posters on the walls will fall down during the next 50 minutes. Who knows? That's about the only interesting thing that happens in the studio. But there are a lot of interesting things, and I'll give you a few examples now, everybody is excited about the AFL Grand Final this week, Saturday, and the uh, Rugby League Grand Final next Saturday or Sunday. I've forgotten what it is. But just, you know, we're told it's the people's game. Let's talk about AFL, which I'm familiar with, living in Victoria. Now, the, the AFL Grand Final will be held this Saturday. That's right, this Saturday. There are 100,000 tickets 
Now, this is a people's game. 100,000 tickets. Richmond Football Club is 105,000 members. Okay? Of those 100,000 tickets, 34,000, 17,000 each are given to each club. Which doesn't even satisfy, you know, 15 to 20% of the Richmond membership, okay? Of the 66,000 tickets that are left, and that's 66%, roughly, they are reserved for MCG members, Melbourne Cricket Club members, AFL members, Australian Football League members, and corporations. So here you have supporters all year following the game, putting their hands in their pocket, joining clubs, and then when the big day comes, the grand final, when the two best teams, you know, square off, most of the supporters are basically banned from the finals because... Finals tickets are reserved for those who have got lots and lots of cash. End of story. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Now, in order to take advantage of the uh, tens of thousands of people who will be in the city of Melbourne on Friday, uh, this Friday, the 26th, or was that the 27th? The 26th is Friday. Tens of thousands. Public housing, everybody's business. We'll be holding a 24-hour public housing vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, which is the corner of Spring and Burke Street in Melbourne. So if you're an interstate visitor, you listen to this program in Sydney and you're a you know, Greater Western uh, Sydney supporter and you're turning up for the football game and down there watch the parade on the Friday, well, come along and join us on the vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. About 100 metres away, the Treasury Building, you know, the footballers will be uh, doing their thing as they parade through the city. And 100 metres down the road, down Spring Street, at the corner of Burke and Spring, we'll be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. But we will be there. That's right. We will be there at 11.30pm on Thursday, the 26th of September. You heard correctly, 11.30pm. It's a 24-hour vigil to 11.30pm on Friday the 27th of September. 24-hour vigil of public house and why. I'll give you a few interesting figures which I haven't plucked out of thin air because I'm not a magician, although some statisticians are. I'll get that word right one day. But the Productivity Commission, which, you know, most people respect its findings, has done a little bit of a research regarding the increasing number of Australians who are forced to rent. Now, currently, 
there are 2.1 million rental households which accommodate 6.3 million Australians. That's about 26-27% of the population. Yeah? That's the first figure. That figure has increased dramatically since 1995. Currently, of those 6.3 million people in the rental market, 26% of the population, an increasing number in the rental market because of the ridiculously, ridiculously escalating housing prices, which has, have increased sevenfold since 1995, that's in the last quarter of a century, housing prices have increased on average by 700%, while wages growth has almost been stagnant in the last decade as trade unions have been legislated out of existence. Currently, The number of low-income families in rental has increased by 42%. And the private rental market has increased by 134%. Extraordinary growth in the rental market because of our taxation-friendly laws which allow investors to claim losses on rental properties as a tax deduction, courtesy of the Australian public at the last state, at the last federal election where they had the choice of keeping those laws in place or having them modified to a significant degree, where we chose as a people to keep those laws in place. So 7% of people on low incomes, and that usually include people on low incomes, are now paying, who are in the rental market, 75% of their income on rent. That's right, 7%. And 25% are paying more than 50% on rent. And guess who are the victims? Guess who are the people who find themselves in this situation? Low-income families, that's families that are relying on Social Security benefits to survive or families that are in jobs which pay seven to $800 a week. Low-income families. The disabled and the over 65. Elderly people who, through no fault of their own, who've worked hard all their lives, who find themselves at 65 when they retire, having to survive on a pension and having no permanent roof over their heads. So this is what Public Housing Everybody's Business Campaign has been about since December 2016 although it's specifically tailored to the Victorian situation, where we are demanding, not asking or begging or beseeching, but demanding the $6 billion of revenue which is raised by the Victorian state government every year by the levying of a stamp 
duty on housing be earmarked for public housing. And guess what? Since 1995 to 2018, the amount of public housing has fallen. And even when you put in this, you know, the bodgy social and community housing uh, figures into it, it hasn't even kept pace with population growth. So the Victorian state government, led by Mr Andrews, made a specific political decision. They believe that Victorians don't care about public housing. They care about railway crossings and new roads more than public housing. Because, you know, you can see those things happening. And they've diverted that $6 billion a year in revenue into this, into this road construction and orgy. So we say enough is enough. And if you agree with us and you're interested in the concept of growing public housing, because public housing was introduced in the late 40s and early 50s as a result of pressure from returned servicemen and women who found themselves homeless and living in tents in the Botanic Gardens and the MCG, for the state to provide low-cost, affordable accommodation. And that accommodation was not just for people in crisis, but that accommodation was for people who could not afford to buy a home to give them security and stability. So if you want to join us, you're more than welcome. The more, the merrier. It is a great day to interact with the public. It is a great day to directly take our message to the public from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. So join us, 11.30pm, Thursday, the 26th of September to 11.30pm, Friday, the 27th of September. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. I've been interested in hearing, that's right, hearing, the word is hearing, not listening, hearing, people talk about a crisis in democracy. You know, as we see what's happening around the world, there's a crisis in democracy. As Western Europe disintegrates, Eastern Europe becomes more authoritarian and uh, so-called uh, democratic countries become more and more authoritarian across the world. So they say there's a crisis in democracy. There is no crisis in democracy. There is no crisis in rule of the people, by the people, for the people. But there is a crisis in parliamentary democracy. And let's that, get that clear. There is a crisis in parliamentary democracy where electors in this country are forced by legislation to go to the polling booth and cast a ballot to elect a representative for the next three years to make decisions for them for the next three years. A little bit like giving somebody a blank cheque to do the right thing by them and then finding at the end of the day that your bank account's be denuded of any cash. So the crisis isn't in democracy. The crisis isn't in people wanting to rule themselves, in communities wanting to rule themselves 
and actually use the resources that they have access to for the benefit of that community. The crisis is in parliamentary democracy because parliamentary democracy has been usurped by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Casting a ballot no longer determines policy. Policy is determined in the boardrooms of national and transnational corporations who basically set boundaries for what legislation eventually spewed out of Parliament. That's what it's about. The crisis is in parliamentary democracy because Parliament has been usurped by people who have money and use that money and power to ensure their interests are always put before the interests of the public. That's right. Public interests no longer form the backbone of our society. The backbone of our society is formed by corporate interests. And unfortunately, over the last two or three decades, more and more Australians on Social Security benefits, on wages, short-term contracts, see their future bound up with the very system that exploits them. And that's what explains what happened at the last election, considering what's actually happening in society as a whole, as more and more people are finding it more and more difficult to survive. So there's no crisis of democracy. So in 2015, we formed public interest before corporate interest for one very good reason, to put the interests of the many before the interests of the few. It is both a... It's an organisation based on direct democracy, and just like to remind people who are members of public interest before corporate interest, that the eight policy initiatives which have been initiated by the members... Voting closes on the 30th of September and hopefully you'll have your ballots in by then. And don't forget that on the uh, Saturday the 5th of October we will be a gathering at the Unitarian Church in Melbourne, 110 Grey Street in East Melbourne to count those ballots and, and, and incorporate policies within our constitutional apparatus. So it's not about a crisis in democracy, there's never been a crisis in democracy. History, human history, is a march towards democracy. Rule of the people, by the people, for the people, and that's the key. For the people, not for that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange, and communication. Not for people who negatively gear property and get a taxation advantage. It's for the people. So there is a crisis in parliamentary democracy. It's about time there was a crisis in parliamentary democracy because parliamentary democracy has not delivered. It's delivered to small sections of society, the 8 or 9% investment class in this country, to the 1% who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And unfortunately, there's another 70 or 80% of people who somehow think their fortune and their future is tied into the current capitalist system. Because democracy does not equal capitalism. A lot of people think democracy equals capitalism. You have no capitalism, you have no democracy. 
capitalist democracy is what you see in the share market, where if you own 100,000 shares, you get 100,000 votes at the AGM, and if you own one share, you get one vote. Parliamentary democracy is about giving people power to make decisions for you. Direct democracy is having one vote, one individual. It's about formulating policies, as we do in public interest before corporate interest. Now, as I keep saying week after week, we need new members. It's all very well, you know, to, you know, throw a brick through your television set, shut down your iPad for a few minutes until you know you feel the need to go back to it, or put some cotton wool in your ears to drown out the realities of everyday life. But the reality is that if you don't fight, nothing ever changes. So if you're interested in an organisation that uses both parliamentary and extra-parliamentary means to promote the concept of the public interest, the interest of the many before the interest of the view, then I encourage you, encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the website, pibci.net, have a look at the website, download the application form, have a look at the application form, sign up, and before you know it, We'll have enough members on the electoral roll to uh, register as a federal political party so we can stand in by-elections and elections and raise issues which need to be raised, both in a parliamentary dimension and an extra-parliamentary dimension. So I said before, there is no crisis of democracy, but there is a crisis of parliamentary democracy because it is a sham. It is a sham. And across the world... Democracy is about equalising power. It's about protecting the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. It's not about cementing the privileges of a minority for eternity. So the difference between delegation and representation is as clear as black and white. Delegation is when you give power to somebody to coordinate decisions with other people for your group and for that delegate to come back to have them ratified. Representation is when you give a signed blank check for somebody to make decisions on your behalf. And in the parliamentary system, it doesn't matter what the ruling party has promised, they will do, not what they've promised, but they will do, at the end of the day, what suits their puppet masters. That small section side that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Now, I'll give you a few examples. A few examples of how things have become so skewered I like that word. Reminds me of Shazlik. Sorry, vegetarians. I'm talking about vegetable Shazlik. So, a few examples. Now, when Medicare was introduced, it was actually called Medibank when it was introduced originally. When Medicare was introduced in 1974, it was supposed to remove the necessity of people putting their hands in their pocket to access health care. So the standard of health care you received was not dependent on the amount of pennies in your pocket, 
but was totally dependent on the state subsidising that service. Now, the last few years, well, the last five or six years since the current government has been in power, various manifestations of the current government, healthcare costs in the last 20... Out-of-pocket healthcare costs for Australians soared to $3.9 billion. And that has occurred for one very good reason. Because of a legislative agenda carried out by the Liberal National Party, that has basically attempted to strangle Medicare. As they are strangling the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, of funds which have allocated to them, they are strangling Medicare to force more and more Australians to put their money in their, their hands in their pocket to access basic health care. And a figure which tells it all is very simple. The, the growth in health spending, growth in health spending by the federal government is four times slower than the increase in the taxation revenue they have been able to collect. Think of it again. Health care, basic necessity. 99.2% of Australians will tell you it is a basic necessity. Health care. It's one of the essential things that everybody talks about at election time and between election times. And if you get sick, or a member of your family gets sick, we are now finding that more and more Australians need to put their hands in their pockets to subsidise that health care. To the extent where if you look at the, uh, you look at the uh, web, these uh, sites where they raise money, the number of people trying to raise money to pay medical bills, extraordinary. But the key statistics, the key figure you need to keep in mind that the growth in health spending by the federal government, although obviously state governments also put money into health, but that's a different issue, but the growth in health spending by the federal government is four times slower than the increase in taxation revenue. And that's how they've got their balanced budget. By transferring the responsibility of providing basic necessary health care from the state to the individual. Extraordinary, isn't it? And when you look at what's happening with the rental market and how that is manipulated... Because of our current taxation laws, you begin to understand the situation. Now, why do we find ourselves in this situation where Australians, and I'm not going to blame the media, the fourth estate. I'm not going to blame the internet. I'm not going to blame you know, the Martians. Or I'm not going to blame Mr Trump. And I'm not going to blame Mr Morrison. Because we need to understand why so many Australians 
currently identify with the very system which is screwing them financially and oppressing them. Is it the Stockholm Syndrome where you fall in love with your, you know, your uh, master? Or is it something a little bit more basic? It's a little bit more basic. And the great bulk of Australians are in some type of work. There's about 10 million, right? And the great bulk of Australians are also having money compulsorily acquired by the state and placed in superannuation funds. Now, these superannuation funds is just a mechanism by which to privatise old age. Where in the, you know, in the old days, the state subsidised your old age because you'd worked all your life and you know, you'd pay taxes and it was about time you, know, you got something back in return for your investment. But today, through superannuation, you pay for your retirement. That's what it's about. But the key about superannuation is almost 50 cents of every dollar in any superannuation company, industry-based or non-industry-based, is invested in the stock market. And when people get access to the superannuation after a working life, they need to keep that superannuation going, to, you know, to keep up their lifestyle. And the, the things about superannuation laws, they're basically there to enrich those who've got lots of money in their superannuation funds and punish those who haven't got any, any money in their, or little money in their superannuation funds. So if you're in a poorly paid job all your life, there isn't hardly any superannuation. So more and more people are identifying with the very system that exploits them. And they think a, an attack on the capitalist system is an attack on their nest egg in their superannuation fund. And the, and the situation has got much worse over the last few years because as interest rates fall, more and more people with self-funded superannuation funds, and there's over a, you know, a million of them, and more and more people in industry-based and non-industry-based superannuation funds are looking for returns on their stock market investment, and that return includes franking credits, which is a gift from the government for owning a share, and that return includes the dividend you receive at the end of the year for having a particular share. So what we are seeing is the stock market is changing from a, a value-orientated market where investment is determined by the amount of return you get and the value of the company you're investing in to a news-driven stock market. When Mr Trump sends out a tweet... It can go up or down. And I spoke about this before, how he's manipulating the market for his own private interests. So when the stock market is no longer value-orientated and you have millions of people's future, Australians' future, 
tied into this market which goes up and down and people are relying not on interest which they receive because of the money they have in a financial institution but on the dividend they receive for a share and the franking credits they receive from the share, you will find that people become frightened. When people say, oh, maybe, maybe we should take this away or that away or should do this or should do that. And so we have seen a change in culture. There is no working culture, working class culture. It's about self-funded retirees who are identified with the system. It's about contractors who are on short-term contracts who do what they have to do to maximise their profits. It's no longer about value-driven stock market. It's all about news-driven. It's quite an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in in uh, 2019 where the whole concept of a publicly listed company has turned around to the situation where it's not value orientated and this makes it's all about the return the dividend at the end of the year on on, on the stock market shares you have and that means that company boards company boards will invest in things which will increase return. And what you do is you buy back, instead of using the profit you make to buy back, to uh, expand the company, increase wages and employ more people, you use the profits that are made to buy back shares in the company increase the value of the stock and increase the value of the dividend at the end of the year. So the whole purpose of the stock market has been put turned on its head. Well, it's interesting because it's about culture. It's about cultural change. I'll give you an example. Let's move on. Let's move on to climate change or climate emergency. Now, over the last 40 years, we've had a little drip, 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 drip. There have been an increasing number of people saying we have a climate issue. We have a climate issue. And what we saw a week ago was this drip turn into a trickle. And what we saw at the United Nations Climate Summit a few days ago was this trickle beginning to wet the feet of world leaders. Well, some world leaders, others like Mr Morrison are wearing high heels and the water hasn't gotten to their shoes yet. And what we'll see over the next 30 to 40 years, this trickle turn into a rivulet and this rivulet turn into a river and the river will turn into a torrent. And unfortunately, the time for change may have disappeared. Because although Mr Morrison and the Liberal National Party continue to tell us that you know, there's no anxiety and that everything's all right and we're doing all the right things, not just for the economy but as far as uh, the future is concerned and that everybody's been a bit alarmist. 
I did find it funny. I really did find it funny that people were complaining that kids had taken time off school, 300,000 individuals, adults and children had taken time off work or school to join in the protest last Friday. I did find it funny that they were criticised, you know, for not being in school. When uh, in Victoria, I don't know about the rest of Australia, we have a holiday for a, a football match and we have a holiday for a horse race within a six-week period. I found that quite endearing. You've got to find these little funny things in life because it can be, look a bit serious. Now, those of you who have been listening to the program f- for some time will have forgotten most likely that I keep talking about the four horsemen of the 21st century apocalypse. That's right. Biblical reference, obviously. Old Testament reference, which, uh, you know, Jews, Muslims and uh, Christians are all familiar with. Obviously, other faiths aren't, but that's about half of the world. The old four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we do have 21st century horsemen of the apocalypse. And they are growing in strength as I speak. And what we saw last Friday around the world in the climate summit a few days ago, was a basic response to those four horsemen of the apocalypse. The issue is, isn't just increasing CO2 emissions. The issue isn't about converting capitalism into green capitalism. There are four issues which are creating a situation which we have never seen in the history of this planet. And hopefully the $150 million that Mr Morrison has, uh, and the federal government has given to the United States uh, NASA program will be used to, you know, maybe fly out a few of the more intelligent members of our community uh, to Mars or somewhere else as we continue to despoil this planet. But the four horsemen of the apocalypse, increasing population growth. We expect to reach 9 billion human beings on the planet by 2050. That's only 31 years away, not long. Currently it's about 7.4 billion. We have finite resources on the planet. That's right, finite resources. They run out. Prices go up. Resources are finite, whether it's soil, whether it's the air, whether it's minerals, whether it's oil, whether it's gas, whether it's hydrogen. Resources are finite. We don't have a magic pudding or a fancy wand although science thinks sometimes it may have. We have increasing CO2 emissions which are leading to a climate emergency. Some people say we have entered that climate emergency. Increasing CO2 emissions which directly related to the domination of the world's economy by corporate capitalism. Whether it's China or India or the United States or, you know, um, the Marshall Islands, the dominant economic force on the planet today is corporate 
capitalism. And it has one mantra, one God, one message. Ever increasing profits, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. That's the mantra. It's about, let's connect the dots, it's about return to shareholders, it's about increasing dividends, it's about incorporating people into the capitalist system, whether they want to be part of it or not. So as the four horsemen of the apocalypse increase in strength, what do you see? Increasing disputes among populations, not based on race or, or a religion, but based on resources, access to resources. That is the key, access to the resources. As the population increases, the climate change effects increase, resources decrease, and corporate capitalism becomes stronger and dominates every aspect of society as we see in China and in the United States and Australia and other parts of the world, we will see increasing pressure and increasing dislocation. It is no wonder that that 1% is bracing itself for social problems. It is no wonder we are seeing the increased militarisation of police forces across Australia. It is no wonder that we are seeing the Australian military looking at the ways it can actually quell civil insurrection in this country. It is as black it is black and white. You don't need a 16-year-old woman to tell you what's going on in the world. You don't need... You know what's going on in the world. But the issue is most people think, well, there's nothing I can do about it. Now, I'm sure 300 years ago when the first Quakers initiated the campaign against slavery around the world and the British Empire and around the world... Most people said, well, they haven't got a hope in Hades. And although slavery is still an issue for about 50 million people on the planet, it is not a major issue today. It's the same thing, as I said before. Drips turn into trickles, trickles turn into rivulets, rivulets turn into rivers, rivers turn into torrents, and governments are washed away and the earth is cleansed, I sound like a biblical scholar here, and things start anew. And what we are seeing is young people saying, enough is enough. You've stolen our future. You've curdled our dreams. And it doesn't matter how many times Mr Morrison and his ilk will say, don't worry, it'll be all right, we're creating jobs for you. That's right, we're creating low-paid, part-time jobs for you. We're putting your superannuation in the world stock market. It's all it's all going to be good. It's all going to be all right. The reality is different because the plans are afoot. Look at the military response in Australia. What is the major issue they think they face over the next few years? What do you think that is? 
I don't know what that noise is. Hopefully it'll stop. I don't know who bought a phone in this studio, but they should be shot. That's almost a poet, isn't it? Now, so getting back to the issue, population growth, finite resources, corporate capitalism and CO2 emissions, all interlinked. So, what's the problem? What's the underlying problem? It's very simple. Corporate capitalism. Corporate capitalism. The domination of the planet, politics, the economy, by a growth-at-all-cost mentality, profit-at-all-cost mentality. When you see a 187-year-old company like uh, Thomas Cook go bankrupt, you begin to understand the nature of capitalism. So, as I said before, it's up to you. Look, I can wax lyrical till the time I die, and I can be a drip, but in order for, for drips to become trickles and trickles to become rivulets and rivulets to become rivers and rivers to overflow their banks and wash away governments which are doing the bidding of that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, you need to do something more than clicking a little button on your uh, computer, more than uh, saying what a great program it is. What I say to you is get involved, look around, get out there, see what's happening in Sudan, Hong Kong, Indonesia, West Papua, uh, Egypt. Think about it. That's what it's about. Change is about people taking action. It's about people taking action. Talk's good, action's better. So a few things you can do. You can look at uh, my uh, YouTube presentations, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest on the YouTube, uh, Twitter stream, uh, Pipsy underscore AU, a Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, uh, Public Housing Everybody's Business, Defend and Extend Public Housing, the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do. Don't like what I'm talking about? Look for other like-minded uh, organisations. There are many around the world, many in your part of the world, many, and there's, if there's nothing where you live, do it yourself. Standing outside a bank with a sign is enough to make them annoyed. Think about it. It's up to you. All I can do is talk about it, analyse, do my best. Sometimes doing your best is not enough, but nothing Nothing, nothing is more important, kind of focuses the mind than an impending disaster. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can ring me on 0439. 395-489 write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 don't forget see you at 11.30pm Thursday the 26th of September on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House for a 24 hour public housing vigil. Tune in to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 
10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.